0: We have another Twitch live stream coming up in the near future.
1: Wait, another future
0: episode? Yeah, but think future humans.
1: We're recording a bonus episode on May 28th, 4 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. Eastern. You can
0: find us on twitch.tv slash SWGhosts.
1: If you can't make it, Patreon listeners $5 and above will receive the recording on patreon.com slash sex with ghosts.
0: We're drinking Red Bull and vodka.
1: And I think you can figure out what the shots will be.
0: Again, that's twitch.tv slash swghosts.
1: See you then. Did something just happen in the background? Oh, did you hear that? Yeah. (laughs) Our
0: recycling is like pretty close to our office.
1: Oh, so okay. I think
0: that was just Mike tossing a okay. bottle in the recycling.
1: I was gonna say it was like, did something break? No. Okay. Just
0: just uh being environmentally cautious. <laughs> Anything you want to talk about? Uh,
1: I I went out last night. That's why maybe I also have a headache. Oh, did you party? Yeah, a little bit to uh May the fourth party. Oh, where at? At the bar on campus, the Naval Postgraduate School.
0: Oh, I was like, um, what campus is in Monterey? But <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, so you were with a, a bunch of real um, patriotic humans.
1: Yes, but in particular, this group was Star Wars obsessed because it was a theme.
0: I feel like that's gotta be kind of common though for the navy because there's a lot of similarities between star wars and the navy
1: that is true that's very true
0: Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I'm Bridget, here with my biblical scholar, Molly. Ha,
1: <laughs> That would be very funny.
0: But I would be totally wigged out if you were like, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian.
1: You know, actually, when I was in high school, it did cross my mind slightly to do something With the church, but that uh, quickly fell away after (laughs) I think it was my sophomore year of college when I gave up.
0: Well, it's like a very strong culture in the Midwest. Like one of the craziest things about reading all this religion stuff is like how people from Iowa, from our hometowns, like there are people who will never leave that space And they think it's super normal to be like a fanatical
1: Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, in an unrelated note, I just, I, but I still do find like the Bible as literature to be interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's kind
0: of wild how it's stood the test of time. Yeah. And whether or not people... Like I think there will always be a group of people who are like, there are answers in this book. <laughs> like I don't think that's going away. Um, uh, we just watched a religious documentary last night. It's the I think it's called like the way down. Yeah, it is called The Way Down, which is about this woman who started this sort of Christian cult in the South that was like you could lose weight through your Oof. relationship with Jesus sort of oh, thing. No. And she was That's like terrible. huge and people followed her <laughs> and technically like, so spoiler alert, she's dead. Um, and it's kind of interesting because they, when they started making the documentary, she was alive. And then I think by the time they were like in post production, she died in a plane accident oh, on their way to like a MAGA rally. <laughs>
1: Oh weird. Wow. That is that's that's a story.
0: Yeah. And it's it's incredible because you see how many people get like involved in this cult and the different types of people and there's like child abuse and oh, people dear. starving themselves a lot of oh, eating disorders. Dear. And um, the thing that struck me the most was like how people found this church and their small community as like, this is where my community's at. This is where, and I believe in God. So like these two things go together and we don't talk enough about how dangerous
1: Christianity is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's a lot. This is also kind of unrelated, but related. If you're a Geekly Inc. follower, I believe they're going to be starting up a new podcast about be Left Behind series.
0: Oh, that's funny.
1: <laughs> with a obviously critical view, I am kind of curious.
0: Well, I hope no one buys those books new and they oh, get yeah. them from like <laughs> used bookstores.
1: Sure, you can. Same with, uh, I mean, it's like the Harry Potter stuff. It's like you can find those used anywhere. You don't have to buy them new.
0: Yeah, yeah. Keep that. Actually, probably for most authors. <laughs> Especially before like 1980, you should probably just buy their book used. Yeah, totally. You don't want to see what their dug up past looks like.
1: Or go to the library like we've talked about previously. Oh, yeah.
0: I use the library all the time to usually look at recipes on the New York Times website. So in case you're wondering why we're talking so much about religion, it is because this episode is a part two of a two-part series on the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you are not familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, I advise listening to the first episode. And that's because in the first episode, we talked about the discovery and the origin of the scrolls. In this episode, we'll talk more about the conspiracies and Hobby Lobby. Um, But first, uh, any, any feelings you want to get out about the scrolls?
1: Um, Not yet. I I am very curious about the conspiracies because I really had not heard anything about them. And so I kind of just assumed that there was like shady shit going on and
0: Yes. And I'll be a little upfront here. The conspiracies are not, there aren't a lot to find out there. And I think we'll see why. I think in this episode, we'll see why there are limited amounts of conspiracies versus maybe other topics we've done. And it, it may deal with gatekeeping by the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, but before we get into that, let's do some fun facts. So out of these scrolls, we have one scroll that actually tried to explain why God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, which I thought was really fascinating because I feel like when a lot of people are like, the Bible's crazy, they bring up this story. Like, why would you kill mm-hmm. your son? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that must have been a thought like 2000 years ago, <laughs> too, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would imagine like you're trying to justify it.
0: Yeah, because your God is supposed to be a loving God. So why why is God telling you to murder your offspring? <laughs> And so in this explanation, it says in Genesis, you know, God instructs Abraham to sacrifice his only son. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, reason is a a malevolent (laughs) figure called Mastema. And I'm probably totally saying that wrong because I'm sure that's an ancient Hebrew or Aramaic word, um, challenges God to test him very similar to Satan challenging God in the book of Job. Okay. But,
1: okay. Has, uh, and you may get to this later, it may not be relevant right now, but has like the church, whichever church or the Jewish faith in general, has anyone like, have they taken these books and put them in the same status as the Bible? I mean, they have the Torah, well, no, 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 I know, but like this new, <laughs> these new scrolls—all those like, scrolls—I yeah, don't yeah. think
0: so. And I think that is because both of these holy books are both come from a history of oral tradition, and the, I think, with the exception of some weird Christian sex, I think most religious people talk about that is that the history comes from an oral tradition. There's tons of versions, but at different times, like I know with the Christian Bible, for instance, and I I imagine something similar happened with the Torah. You had a group of people in the religious community meet together and say, which of these stories works for the story we're trying to tell? And they decided what material made it in or was considered holy scripture and what wasn't.
1: So no one's reconvened their whole priesthood to decide, yes, we're adding these new books or anything.
0: Right. And I don't think that they would. The only the people who have are um, Mormons. I, I was trying to think of Jehovah Witnesses have a similar story. I know like the Mormons, for instance, Right. That's their whole thing with Joseph Smith. It's like, oh, he wrote these, right, extra, these extra books because yeah. an angel came to him, which is even crazier if you think about it. Because, <laughs> like, with the Bible and the Torah, it was like a whole history of telling these stories generation after generation. Then it's not a single person that says, yes, this belongs in the book and this doesn't. It was a group of people who yeah. were like, We are the leaders of this organization. This is what's staying in. This is what's going out. And in the Mormon story, it's just like some capitalist.
1: Yeah. Who
0: was like, how do I get rich? Put together that if he started his own religion, he would make more money.
1: It is crazy. But I think that we should set that aside because that is not a traditional religion, religious view.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's its own brand, and if you're listening and you're a Mormon, I'm sorry that you're a Mormon. Oh, that was a dick thing. Okay, but if you are a Mormon and you have a good experience and you want to correct any of this, please, Uh, you know how to reach me. Um, Now I have the Mormons coming after us. The Isaiah scroll, which from part one, I told you it's the only book that they have the whole book of Uh it is also a thousand years older than any previously discovered copy. Oh, okay. So this scroll is estimated to be between 2350 to 2100 years old. It also is 24 feet long.
1: Wow. Can you find these things online now like to study them if you wish?
0: Yes, but that is very recent in something very interesting that will lead into our our cover up.
1: Ah uh, yes, of course.
0: But one last fact before we get there, the scrolls that were written on goat and calf hides were more significant than than the other the, scrolls
1: which were we talked about they were written on papyrus.
0: Papyrus and they used DNA testing and found out that they were also used on hides of gazelle. And wow, is it ibex, ibex? I don't know, some other animal.
1: And then we have the copper.
0: And then we have the copper, and that, and they determined through, I guess, the materials that were or what was written, the content written on these materials, there was there did seem to be a correlation between the importance of the scroll and the religious significance of the type of animal hide.
1: Wow, that seems complicated.
0: And goats and calves were traditionally considered more pure. So it seems like anything written on those animals' hides seemed like the information was more important or more sacred. I don't know.
1: Sure. Do you think that was... I mean, I don't know if this is a worthwhile question to ask, but is it possible that it's just in our like future view like or or do we think that that's actually the case you know what I mean like maybe scholars today are putting extra significance on these things or were they really I think
0: I think you could tell by what was written so like some some of the scrolls had other things right so like you have the The biblical books, are I don't I don't know I don't really like calling them biblical because I feel like if anything they're more Jewish than they are Christian, but those sort of like sacred texts versus like notes and the other type of information that they were recording, like I think you could probably differentiate pretty easily. Like oh, this would
1: be more important. I see. Okay. Do you know what did they write with ink, ink?
0: I mean, with the exception of the copper copper. And then I saw or I read a little bit that like there were some scrolls I thought were blank. And just recently, like, I think it was like maybe in the past year or the article is dated in the past year. They I think it was in Germany. Did um I don't know what you call it off the top of my head, but like those X-ray sort of scans, sure, where they could. I mean, I, I don't think X-ray is the right word, is it? But where they were able to see, like there used to be writing, but the ink, like literally deteriorated.
1: Yeah, yeah, so that that's weren't what, blank, right? I, that's what I would assume <laughs> might happen on a lot of those because it was so well preserved. I guess.
0: Yeah. And it's crazy too, because I think in that same article, it was like saying how, or maybe it was a different article, but one of the articles I was reading was saying how like the way things were kept, it feels more like this is part of our everyday life versus the majority of the stuff and the way it was written. It didn't feel like this is something that we're saving. This isn't, it didn't seem like a locked vault. Situation. It makes the argument of Jewish people escaping Romans mm-hmm. make more sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. Versus the Essenes that we talked about yes. last time that were like, this is the end of days. Yes,
1: yes. That does make sense.
0: Speaking of who wrote these and conspiracies, the first one I have for you is a man named John Marco Allegro. So after the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, a team of archeologists and scholars who were well-versed in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek were all hired to try to figure out what these scrolls said, essentially. And one of these guys was John Marco Allegro. He was a former student of a Methodist ministry, and he actually gave up his studies in Christianity to study philology and archaeology.
1: I look that up real quick? Yeah. Because I am curious philology is a branch of knowledge that deals with the structure historical development and relationships of a language or languages so it would make sense great
0: yeah that actually makes tons of sense anyways out of these group of people who are studying the scrolls he is the only one who is agnostic everyone else is basically christian scholars and this is kind of very problematic for tons of reasons. I'm sure they'll become obvious, but like there were no Jewish scholars for like possible? four decades. How is that possible? How? Because once I- the Catholic church is involved, baby, ain't no one getting in. That's
1: that's horrible.
0: Which is also why I think there's a limited number of conspiracies on the scrolls because For decades, only the Catholic church and select Christians are looking at these and the Christians aren't going to push any sort of conspiracy beyond that that might prove that Jesus exists. Yeah, And then now they are published. You can read them online in a number of different places and you could see them in person. So I think... That also takes out some of the conspiracy, too, because anyone can access these now.
1: That's pretty messed up.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So when Allegro is interpreting these scrolls, he's coming in with a secular perspective. And he worked very quickly to get his interpretation published because he wanted the public interaction as soon as possible. Um, By the early 1960s, he had finished and submitted his findings to a scientific journal, whereas most of his colleagues didn't actually publish their findings until the early 1990s. Wow.
1: Wow. That's much later.
0: Right. So it seemed, you know, that leaves people be like, well, What are we hiding?
1: (laughs) Yeah. What are you doing?
0: But it's also Allegro's interpretation would, because it's secular. And as we talk more about what his interpretation is, it's not very Catholic or Christian.
1: Okay. I mean, not
0: just because of the secularness, but also the information that he's pulling out, right? Mm Mm-hmm or in his interpretation, he saw these scenes were actually a group of Jewish Gnostics and there, everything they were writing was supposed to be allegorical and mythological.
1: Okay. I see.
0: And he points out that these texts were written in Hebrew and Aramaic and from which they were translated into common Greek language at the time, leaving a lot of opportunity for misinterpretations and false translations. So like some words in Hebrew and Aramaic can look almost identical, but have oh. very different meanings. Oh, So one of the examples he gives is a Hebrew word, Emira, or it's I-M-E-R-A-H. Um, And that means word, but if you use that word in Aramaic, it means lamb.
1: Oh, wow. Mm -hmm.
0: Which is interesting because then I, being a former Catholic, you know, think about how many times have you heard someone say like the lamb of God and the word of God Yeah, and how even though they're connotating specific things, they're used incredibly in a very um, inter- interchangeable way and a lot of that is because uh, the Lamb of God is proof of the word of God. Yeah. So there's a lot of room to just sort of even flip those in the religious sense anyways. Yeah. Which also kind of makes it seem even more culty. <laughs> like we're creating a language that If you get it, you're in, you know? Sure.
1: Well, that's true. But there's also just the idea that, like, in any sort of translation, it's not, I don't think they wrote it to be, like, cryptic or anything. It was just, you lived at the time and you understood, and now we do not. Or
0: It's like this, when we talked about mermaids and the word siren being used, like... There's no explanation of what a siren is in Homer's book or in the Odyssey, because you would have known what he was referencing.
1: Right. And I and I think that those people probably would have known what they were referencing as well when it was lamb or word.
0: (laughs) Right. And I think that's the interesting thing, right? Like, because the idea of Christians like want to use lamb as proof of the word. But if the lamb of God doesn't exist yet, I think it has an even more confusing connotation. Sure. Um, But in addition to these nuances, religious scribes at the time would often use this intersection of Hebrew and Aramaic for double entendres and wordplay. Yeah. So kind of similar what you're saying. In these ancient Semitic writings, vowels were often left out and only consonants were written, so meaning that the word would be based on context. This leads to words with multiple meanings allowing for another level of wordplay which was commonly seen.
1: Yeah, I should have been a linguist.
0: Oh yeah, I think about that too. But I can't I have um I I don't think I hear words correctly. Ah,
1: fair. It's just Like so interesting.
0: I one I heard there's like two type of people there's people who can like hear words when they listen to a song and people who can't and I'm of the latter I definitely I don't think I started hearing words until I was like in junior high and I was like I got to figure out what they're saying in the songs I like and I
1: had AOL you can just google or AOL yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but that couldn't that just be that they don't really say words very clearly in songs?
0: But I think some people hear yeah. them and they're like, oh, this guy's sick about I don't know.
1: Yeah. His wife's leaving him. I don't know. I really don't. I don't What song was I listening to recently where I was just like, why would you say the word like that? <laughs> I don't remember. Probably Madonna. Um, maybe, maybe.
0: The Essene scriptures are, I guess, as we're calling them in this context, mention a teacher of righteousness, and Allegro was like, maybe this is Jesus, because the teacher fit into similar messianic prophecy, or very similar to Jesus in the Bible. And there was more of an archetypical story found as a recurring pattern with the Essene scriptures Allegro referred to it as a well-defined pre-existed pattern the church adopted for its Davidic. It looks like David with I. C.
1: Should I look that up too? Sure. Messiah. Davidic is an adjective of or pertaining to biblical David or his descendants. The Davidic line.
0: Yeah, but who the hell is, who's David?
1: The Israelite King David.
0: Oh, okay. And so you see themes of crucifixion, resurrection, a savior of Israel. So Allegro believes this story was institutionalized and used as a method to efficiently control believers. The idea that a man could be absolved of any sin was enticing, while the hierarchy of bishops and priests could be used as a controlling mechanism, as opposed to the independence of Gnostic sex.
1: Yeah, I see what he's, I think I see what he's saying.
0: So Christianity is born out of this allegory. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a little confusing because the Essenes are the, oh, so it was an allegory. Gnostic sects are using this as, isn't this a great story? But once it's in the hands of bishops and priests, it's like, oh, this is our MK Ultra.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 I think that makes sense. That's
0: interesting. I feel like. Well, what do you
1: what do you feel like? Well, um, I mean, it's interesting because, well, so I I am gonna refer back to the last episode a little bit, just like he's making the assumption that the seems are real which i i was kind of convinced by your arguments last time that they may not be but i guess no matter what either way it still ends up being the these stories written down in the scrolls are used by christians presumably the leaders of the christian church at the time to create their religion.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I think it, it really doesn't matter. It, I, I can see how this statement will outrage people. <laughs> I don't think it really matters who wrote them. Yeah. 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 But the effects of Christianity now have, is so long, such a long history. And, we, I think we can obviously say abused in some ways. I mean, we did a Henry the Eighth series.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: And so it's like I don't know if it even matters who the fuck wrote these things.
1: No, oh, because the damage has already been done.
0: Yeah, and so like it, it only matters if you believe in the mysticism, which I
1: mean, I would. I don't wanna think that there's no reason to have actual scholars look into this stuff because like it still can like matter to people who <laughs> now I'm gonna be insulting people who are intelligent you know like who aren't just gonna uh, believe like the whole... You can't know something to have faith, but. Yeah,
0: I think like it's, it's only interesting from like a historical perspective. Like this is something that has survived over time. What can we learn from these materials? Yeah, yeah. And how these people lived. Interesting. Political conflict at the time.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: The thought that, Whatever these texts say, that they prove your personal feelings about life. I'm going to go with not as important, not a huge priority.
1: No, definitely not. Agreed. So
0: like it kind of turns this like interesting, beautiful, historical thing into
1: a piece of Christian propaganda. Yeah, that's unfortunate because when you first, when we first were talking about it, it just totally sounded like, you know, something really cool that like that scholars and archaeologists should be looking at, not churches with like agendas.
0: And so it's kind of incredible that the first people who get access to this are Christians. And it's even wilder because I think... As we talked about um, in part one, the first people to buy this were of Jewish faith. But then I guess it's also like if you're Jewish and you're a scholar and you have this like fragment of a scroll and you could sell it because the the 40s and 50s were a rough time for yeah. Jewish people, then it's going to, you know, the Catholic Church is going to be your first buyer, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, that's Really, too bad. And that might even be the first um,
0: person you go to say, "Hey, buddy, uh, I don't know if you know this, but a bunch of your people killed our people, and now I need some money." I
1: blame, I blame Yale. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think that's very fair. <laughs> we should do a Yale episode.
1: Oh, that'd be funny.
0: Okay, so Allegro, I think he makes very interesting points in terms of I am of a I have a secular point of view that should be in the hands of the people. Um all of that is cool. I feel like left leaning I'm interested. I like I like that. I don't know if your your theories hold up and part of that is because he also theorized that Jesus was a mass hallucination.
1: <laughs> okay. Um I un I mean, I think that that putting it that way is the wrong way to put it. I think it's much more palatable to be like, in know, in a lot of ways, Jesus was an idea. Well,
0: here's why it's a hallucination, okay. because he wrote a theory that Gnostic Jews were often eating psychedelic mushrooms as a sacrament.
1: Oh, okay. So I see, I see.
0: So his theory is that they had these psychedelic sessions where you'd have like the story of Jesus originating. And he found evidence of incantations and chants that he believed were part of a ceremony for taking the oh i'm probably gonna say this wrong it's latin a manita muscaria mushroom
1: the interesting part about that is that like they have the idea of jesus and then they take the mushrooms and then they is it that they now believe that jesus existed or that they're seeing jesus It sounds like
0: everybody's tripping and they're like, oh, my God, I see this guy, Jesus. And then, you know, when you do psychedelics, sometimes you have the power of suggestion can be powerful. And so you're all you're doing shrooms with your best buds. And you're talking about like, what if there, what if the book of Isaiah is like legit and this guy comes and performs miracles and then like, no one would be able to deny it. And um, to, to further his point, he, so you have these experiences with your pals and then you're going to write about them. And then you're also kind of being murdered by Romans. Uh So to protect Some of the stuff that you're coming up with while you're high with your friends, you start using this wordplay we're talking about (sighs) between the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And one of the examples given is a translation of the opening line of the New Testament. Our father who art in heaven can also be translated to the Aramaic abracadabra. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Wow. 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 Um, and Allegro also points to Christianity's obsession with consuming Christ's body and becoming one with God by eating the body of Christ. So kind of like the same of eating mushrooms. Of course, after publishing this theory, Allegro lost his job at his university. What? What?
1: What? and became a pariah in the academic world oh come on that's not that that's not that absurd like uh, you, you just have to look at the greeks like when like they were literally doing that with the greek gods so like yeah it, but they're heathens and eh, i i don't i don't find it to be that absurd not saying that like that's what Christianity is, but like believing that certain sex, certain religions, offshoots, or whatever tribes of people would do that is completely believable to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very believable. I think, I think it's a hard one because for better or for worse, Christians have done a lot of great work at proving that Jesus the human this guy that they called Jesus existed
1: sure but i'm not saying that there's yeah. any
0: proof in his real story but like right
1: like it just doesn't it doesn't um in my mind it's like one doesn't preclude the other like there could be the Jesus there's this guy named Jesus obviously who lived or whatever <laughs> and then there's also like these people who are making up stories about their the prophet and then like who knows like some of them that got merged into the bible were real done by the jesus guy and then some were probably just hallucinations Stories. yes <laughs> or
0: and and on the flip side of like christians proving that jesus was like a living human um you do have plenty of historical connections between Egyptian and Roman religions and even the book of Isaiah, which is predicting one like humans clearly love the idea of a savior. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. was like very popular in those religions where they were like, there's this one God who's like the son of God, God. And if you were even if you were polytheistic, there was like a specific God that has this or God human that has this qualification. Then when the monotheism happened, it was like, well, we need our version of that story. Yeah. Especially once it becomes a tool for colon colonization and empirical use. You're like, oh, well, we gotta meld all this shit together
1: <laughs>
0: so everybody will follow our laws. <laughs> That's funny. I think his theory and the human propaganda and the popularity of humans wanting saviors. I mean, we fucking still have Batman and Superman. Like, we're still obsessed with this idea. So I think all these things can exist.
1: I hope this guy got another job. I don't think he
0: ever did. I mean, he probably, I think he, uh, I feel like he's dead now.
1: Well, he would have been quite old.
0: Yeah, he'd be crazy old if he's still alive yeah he died in 88 so I'm thinking one he kept publishing books so he had that book money Uh, and two he um I'm sure he was like on coast to coast am and went to all those tinfoil hat conventions so he was probably poor but Probably I mean, the same poor yeah. you'd be if you were working in academia.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> Especially I religious academia. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I'm sure it was nothing. But like that, like that. you know, when you were first telling the story, I did kind of think like, yeah, he does kind of seem like a shock jockey type. Mm-hmm. And that's incredibly
0: shocking for that time.
1: Like, yeah, yeah.
0: The patriotism and Christian relationship is especially by the 80s is like the strongest it's ever been but to kind of go back a little bit on the conspiracies um, a big one is that the Vatican was trying to conceal the Dead Sea Scrolls um, and that's because it did take 40 years for people outside of I mean and I guess what they say that by the 80s they were like, okay, we can have some Jewish people look at these too
1: Jeez yeah, I would hope so. Good God you know that also just reminds me of like it was always well always I don't know for a long time that's what you learn as a Protestant like the Catholics don't you know, read the Bible yourself but the Protestants think it's fine well like you know some of them some of them are still very much like, Only the men and the priests can read. Oh, yeah. So like, it could just be like, hang on, hang ons from that kind of era where it's like, we don't want the people to see.
0: Yeah. Or the people to, okay, think about the Christian organization and like how big it is. And anyone who is a leader in that organization They are a leader because they have been interpreting this text for a community of people. And now it's coming to light that whatever is being published, even though, or whatever was written on papyrus, even though it's like an early version it and it's in what Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew, somebody else could take this information and interpret it in a way that we don't want our followers to follow. So it was like they had to take, what was it? Like 10 to 20 years to get their Christian perspective on it. Then they let the Jewish community look at it. And then it was like another 20 years while the Jewish community had their thoughts and feelings about it. And then they were like, okay, everybody has had a chance to, figure out how they are going to pitch this to their group of people. Right. And so that's why you can read the whole thing now. But your interest in it is most likely because of your affiliation with whatever religious organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, too, that like (laughs) this is kind of silly to say, but like the idea that you know, maybe the church had a point because people are really stupid. And if they were given access to these texts, you know how many people would just be like, they would read one line and then be like, yep, killing all my sons. (laughs) Like done and done. I mean, it happens today. Uh, Yeah, but
0: oh man. See, this is the problem though, because like if we had, Like a universal education system, (laughs) then anyone could look at any piece of information and think about it critically. But because we gatekeep education, (laughs) then the argument for, well, people can't understand that becomes a much stronger point to make if you are gatekeeping people from knowledge and how to use it. Very true. So, like, very true, it's a cycle. (laughs) It's a cycle of abuse. If you think about
1: it, it truly is (laughs) very toxic. It is, it is. It's so bad. And I just wish we were all smarter. I just wish humans could just level up a little bit.
0: I mean, I think about it every day. (laughs) Why? And myself included. Like, why can't I be better?
1: I agree. I do also think like the most important thing is to know, to realize you don't know everything. Just know that you probably don't know.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I should be on a t-shirt. It should. Okay, Molly. So when you mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls, the first thing that came to my mind is the, f- the fake scrolls, which in, in 2009, the Hobby Lobby president, Steve Green, began acquiring a collection of 16 Dead Sea Scrolls for his Museum of the Bible, which was in Washington, D.C., and it was trying to provide an immersive and personalized experience with the Bible and its ongoing impact on the world around us. So this museum opened up in 2017, and at this time, Scholars are starting to have doubts that these scrolls are real. So I believe he gave someone five of the scrolls. And those, like, as like, here, check my scrolls if you don't believe me. And five of those were then confirmed to be fake.
1: Now, is that him getting swindled and buying fake scrolls?
0: Yeah, so he got his dead sea scrolls from this like mysterious post 2002 collection. So during the 1950s there was this an- antiquities dealer named um oh boy. I didn't I didn't look up any names for this one. Sorry guys. <laughs> Khalil Alexander Shahin, otherwise known as Kando. This guy was big into buying up the Dead Sea Scroll fragments from the local Bedouins. And so a lot of the scrolls that people have came f- uh, down the line from him. And then in 2002, though, 70 new items are now on the market that are scroll related. So People thought that the Kando family must be selling these because it was a rumor that they had a vault in Switzerland where they kept relics. Mr. Green bought up at least 16 of these. <laughs> and I think I said it, but this guy's like a billionaire..
1: Uh-huh.
0: And no one has any real idea like how much money he spent on these. Um, scrolls, but they typically go for like millions of dollars.
1: Right. Yeah. Oof.
0: The museum did commission a study to find out what these scrolls, whether or not they were authentic. And then a team of independent researchers compiled a 200 page report with this funding from the museum. The investigation was unveiled at a academic Conference. That's how they broke the news. And the investigation itself went on for like six months before they released that 200 page report. But they did like 3D microscopes and electron microscopy and microchemical testing. So they went above and beyond to make sure these are
1: fake. So, wait, wait. So You're saying the 200-page report was proving that they were The hobby lobbies are are fake. Oh, were fake. Yes. Okay. But they were commissioned. It was commissioned by the museum. Yeah. Dang.
0: Yeah. Because then, you know, that's like, I got to know if I've been fucked.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, and then like, then you can sue people who sold them to you and stuff like that. Not that. You probably have a lot of recourse, or have but, them murdered. Or yeah.
0: I mean, <laughs> I think if you're a billionaire, you have to have a little bit of a mental disorder, like, or I don't know if disorder is the right word, but like you have you have to be a little bit narcissistic, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm seeing one article talking about how Hobby Lobby filed a suit against Christie's auction house. Oh, is
0: that be- where they got it from?
1: Yeah. So like, I, I think that in some of the cases there was probably.
0: <laughs> oh, some multiple middleman involvement. Yeah, yeah. It's someone like Christie's. I feel like I feel like they're like a scam business. So yeah. If yeah. you sued them, they were probably like, here, take your money. Shut up. Go away. Yeah. So it seemed like they were made out of like
1: shoe leather. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, it wasn't even a good one. And the inscriptions were painted. Oh, OK.
0: So definitely they were deliberate forgeries.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, in 2018, Hobby Lobby also got in trouble where they had to sm- they had to return. Oh, this might have also do with the Christie's thing, too. But in 2018, Hobby Lobby had to return Five thousand five hundred smuggled Iraqi artifacts.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's definitely bad.
0: And they had to pay a three million dollar fine.
1: Yeah, this seems like one of those situations where you would think, like a normal person would be like, a billionaire has the money to go through legitimate channels to get this stuff, but yeah. then instead they just are stupid. And make dumb and obvious mistakes.
0: It's wild too, because like I started off by saying like he bought these in 2009, but the museum didn't open until 2017. So he had these in his possession for like a good amount of time. And then that's probably when they got in trouble for having the artifacts because it was like somebody clearly recognized something from their collection that was smuggled. Yeah. And then it was like, so you get hit with that fine. And then they're like, your scrolls might be fake. And then you're probably like, yeah, do whatever you got to (laughs) do. Good God. And in 2019, Hobby Lobby said it would turn over 13 fragments of ancient text following an investigation that found an Oxford University professor had stolen the artifacts (laughs) and sold them to
1: the chain. That's so horrifying. Yeah, there's just so much that we need to do better as a society when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, stop
0: supporting Hobby Lobby. They also... Were the ones that didn't want to let their employees get
1: birth control. Yeah, it's not a good company. There's some other places you can go. You can go to Michael's. I was just going to say Michael's. Go to Joanne's.
0: Oh, I've spent plenty of time at Joanne's in college.
1: Don't bother with Hobby Lobby because they have just done a whole bunch of shady shit.
0: Yeah. There has been a new discovery recently. In March 2021, for the first time in 60 years, they actually found more fragments from a Dead Sea Scroll that was found in a cave in the desert, in the Judean desert. So they range in size from a few millimeters to a thumbnail from the book of 12 minor prophets, including Zechariah or Zechariah Zach, and Nahum. Oh boy, you could tell I didn't read the Bible <laughs> as a Catholic. Um, but I, I could recite the, <laughs> the Rosary. Um, it's, most of what they found was mainly written in Greek. The scroll has the name Yahweh written in Hebrew letters, which is very typical of the first temple period. And these fragments were actually found in a cave. They <laughs> call it the cave of horrors because in the 1950s, they found the skeletons of 40 men and women and children who were hidden in there. It would have been during the bar kokh cook- revolt it seems that they apparently starved to death when the romans came in wow um and this discovery comes because in 2017 they made a huge um push to make sure these caves were empty before it would like end up on the black market
1: yeah yeah that's smart And you're saying that it's, at this point, it's pretty not easy, but like reasonably feasible to determine that these are real versus fake.
0: Yeah, I think what's funny about the Hobby Lobby guy getting screwed over is like, I feel like on some level, you would be able to see a difference just visually. And I could be like wrong. I could be so wrong on this. But I feel like visually you should be able to see a difference between someone trying to make a thing versus what or like with something as old and decrepit and deteriorating and all of these things. I feel like you can tell the difference when you look at something like that up close, if it's fake or real. Is that absurd? I don't
1: know. I mean, we're talking
0: does... animal hides. We're not talking yeah. like, like when I look at medieval books, I'm, I'm like in awe of how some of these, like when you go to like the Getty Museum or uh, I remember looking at rare books in Dublin somewhere, but like these books have stand the test of time because they've been in like some rich guy's book collection. Yeah. But then something that would have been like in the desert for that long, I feel like is going to have a specific look that I don't know would necessarily be easy to replicate without looking like a stage prop.
1: Sure. But I do wonder, like, because this guy was purchasing like these artifacts on mass, it seemed that he just. Didn't even bother. Yeah. Which also like should make everyone
0: upset that someone has enough money to blow on some fake ass scrolls and never bring in an expert to look at them to make sure they're real. And oh, my God, there's just so many like layers to the problem here.
1: There is there is like
0: if anything about the value of these scrolls, it shows that there is huge
1: wage gap. Yeah, uh, we should even bring up the idea like how much our Hobby Lobby employees making. I bet it's not good, Gary. No, it's not. It's not at all.
0: Gary, if you're listening, don't <laughs> apply to Hobby Lobby. i
1: not. Do not.
0: I mean, not only because their politics are bad, but also because they're not going to pay you. No, they're not. Wow. So what are your, any thoughts,
1: feelings about
0: this? Well,
1: um, I mean, it was interesting. I'm glad to know more about this situation. It does pique my curiosity. Uh, I don't know. Got me interested in learning more about what's written in them a little bit, you know? Really? Yeah, yeah. Because I think, I do think this stuff is fascinating, like the historical stuff. Like I would would read a book by uh, Marco, John Marco Allegro. I want to know what he has to say about it. (laughs) Maybe that's like a a Patreon
0: book review we could do.
1: Be really interesting. Like, especially the one about the... What was it? Crazy mushrooms and crosses or something like that? (laughs) Yeah. He sounds like a fun guy. Fun guy. That book is called The
0: Sacred Mushroom (laughs) and The Cross. I am curious. I mean, and I think, I feel like the big problems that the scrolls show us, the lesson to be learned from these scrolls is that one, we have a terrible system where even this applies across the board, there's a terrible system of gatekeeping. There's a money problem where this becomes a commodity to people who have so much money that they decide they're going to collect scrolls that they can't (laughs) even interpret or understand themselves. And there's a problem with understanding historical events because when it's controlled through the narrative of somebody with a certain ideological thinking, then that's the history you're going to get. You're not going to get what was actually going on, which is like, at the end of the day, it was a community of people who were trying to get away from the Romans.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh, there's a movie. We could watch The Healers of the Dead Sea. (laughs) What's that? It's a 30-minute CBS documentary produced by John Marco Allegro.
0: Oh, like on his, maybe we watch that yeah, and then yeah. we do, uh, that's what we're doing. So if you haven't joined Patreon <laughs> yeah. yet and you want to hear Molly and I's reaction to that documentary, we will put that up on Patreon.
1: Any final thoughts from you? Well, I mean, I guess you you just said that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I got on my soapbox. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I guess my only last comment would be to be, be careful when you're going to these museums because you do have to just always consider like where did these artifacts come from? Why are they yeah. here? <laughs> consider those things when you're I mean that
0: that's so interesting you say that because um we recently went to the Getty and the whole time that's like all I'm thinking yeah. about is like Getty wasn't known for being like a nice dude. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit hard nowadays to go to these museums and think about it, but hopefully we can push forward or make progress on those kind of things. Yeah. Support the space program. (laughs) Um, Where can people find you, Molly? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MollyMM9. Thank you for doing all the research. Where can we find you? You can find
0: me, same platforms at Bridget underscore Suck It, and I love doing research. (laughs) I think I like doing research a lot because it sends me in my rabbit holes. But if you want um, other people to find our rabbit holes, please give us a review wherever you get your podcasts on Apple or Spotify that lets other people know that we're the real deal um please share the podcast with with your friends and family family you know if they can hang i imagine your friends can hang they seem like cool people and if you want to support us further you could go to patreon.com slash sex with ghosts
1: thanks for listening
0: anything else thanks thank you